Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. I am excited for this message today because I believe it's a message that will connect to not only every single one of us, but it's a message that is necessary for every person who bears the name of Christ and those who are considering. And I believe that's every one of us here today, those of you watching or listening as well. We are on part four of our series, This Is Not The End. And uh, next week will be the finale, the, 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 the big one with the red bow. So I encourage you to come back. Uh, but we are talking about suffering. And we're talking about the good things that can come out of suffering. We all suffer in life. Uh, but there's a promise in the scriptures. In Romans 5, it's the passage we've been, we've been uh, focusing on this week. When Paul encourages the church, the early Christians, not to despair. Because the suffering that they face in Christ... Do not lead to demise. They are not wasted. They are working within. They are transforming you. And they're producing something lasting. So let me see if you can remember what we have covered thus far. We learned from that scripture that suffering produces what? Suffering produces endurance. You're so good. You remembered endurance. And endurance produces what? Character, so good. See, everybody in unison, you remembered. I'm speaking the things that are not as though they were. And character produces hope and patience. (laughs) So suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So we've covered this in the last three weeks. I did a mini uh, summary or review last week, so I'm not going to go back to what we've covered, but I want to move on to this one word that Paul writes, um, because this one word is loaded. And so let's go to the theme passage for the series, uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I'm reading from the ESV version. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace which was in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Today, I want to talk to you about shame, the burden of shame. That's the title of my message. If you're taking notes, there's also filling in the blanks on the app if you want to take notes there. There are several things that connect us to one another. I believe the strongest bond And the strongest thing that connects us to one another is love. Love is that one thing that we not only are connected by love when we love one another, when we share in love with one another, but we are connected by the fact that we all want love. We all desire love. We seek love. We know we should give love. 
And hopefully, every single one of us at some point in our lives have experienced love. When you were dating, for those of you who are a little bit further down the, 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 the train of life, you were, you were hoping to find the love of your life. No matter how hopeful or how disillusioned you were, or maybe you might be here today, no matter how many times you have tried and maybe failed, or maybe they have failed you, you will try again. If you have caught a glimpse of love, if in that dysfunctional relationship you had a little bit of it, you will go through the pain of heartache, And you will try again. You will connect again because you have have tasted it. And we all want love. We want a chance to experience love. It's like golf. For those of you who play golf, you understand this. See, in golf, you can play a really bad round of golf. Like a horrible round of golf. But then you get to hole number 12. And you get to the green under par. And if you hit that 30-foot putt right into the hole, man, that, you're going to be back. You're going to come back. To, and you're going to suffer through a bad round again if you can hit that one shot. It's kind of like that. We try again because we have had an experience with love. Another thing that connects us is sadness. Sadness connects us. And it's part of our human experience. We all feel sad. We all have suffered loss. We know what sadness feels like. In fact, if, there, if, if, we've, if you remember any national tragedy that we experienced together, we don't even have to say a word. We know what the other person is feeling. We know sadness. Joy also connects us, connects us right? We all know the feeling of joy. I remember when Michael Phelps became the greatest Olympian of all time, the go-oat. Uh, we, all, we are all joyful, celebrating. Go Team USA. And sometimes joy connects, us, connects some of us at the same time that sadness is connecting some other people. Like at the end of a Super Bowl game. Half of the people are happy, Half are sad, and the majority don't care. Because we were just there for the commercials. Or right now, like I'm divided right now. Because as you know, it's the playoffs, and the Astros are playing the Yankees. Some of you might not know, but we come from Houston, Texas. I wasn't born in Houston, but we spent enough time in Houston to watch enough Astros games to say, go Astros. But I am here now, and I love the Yankees. So I'm divided. I'm happy and sad together. Some of you know the feeling. Another thing that connects us all is fear. Fear connects us. Halloween is next week. And in one way, you could say that it's a celebration of fear. Maybe it's a poor definition, but, you know, it's a celebration of scary things and fear. Right? I I watched this video. Somebody sent me this video of somebody, and you will know that fear connects us all because there was this person that decorated their lawn with really scary things, things that we all should be afraid of. 
and there were actually lawn signs. And it read, rent, laundry, gas prices, <laughs> bills, taxes, we need to talk, <laughs> quiet kids, the scariest lawn in America. <laughs> you see? Fear connects us. You understood every single one of those things. And shame. Shame connects us. Shame, con shame connects us because we know the emotion, but shame is particular. Because even though we know the despair that shame brings, even though we know the desperate feeling of being ashamed for something you've been through, something you have faced, we don't share our shame, do we? No, we don't. We don't share our shame. We share our love. We tell people that, that we love, that we love them. We share our fears. We tell those we trust what our fear is. We share our joy. We celebrate together. We even share our sadness. But we don't share our shame. We hide our shame. We hide our shame from everyone. We expose it to no one. And because we hide, we keep our shame very close. Close to us, close to our person. And the thing that's tricky about shame is that we all own our shame, don't we? Whether we brought it on ourselves or somebody else brought it on us, we own it. We own our shame. See, it could be that it could be that it's someone else's fault. Someone else is to blame for what happened. Someone else is to blame for what happened to you. And you had little power in the process. Or it could be that you are guilty. It was your decision. It was your fault. Because it was your doing. It doesn't matter. In both cases, you own it. You own that shame. And if those who wronged you carry shame as well, it doesn't make it easier on you. If those who wronged you are regretful, it doesn't make it easier. It's irrelevant. The fact is that that shame stays with you. Let me ask you today, what are you ashamed of? What are some of the things that you're carrying? How heavy is your burden? I'm here to remind you that whatever shame you carry, it cannot keep you bound. It can't keep you where you are. That your shame is not your end. And today we're going to release it to God. We're going to be free today. And you will experience freedom from your burdens. See, shame is a problem. The classical definition of shame is that shame is a feeling of humiliation. When you become conscious of what happened, you get, you get distressed. But shame goes even deeper because shame is associated with identity. Shame attaches itself to your persona, to who you are. It's like this. If, let's say you go to a store and you see something you like. It's a simple example. And you have it in your hands and you just mind, mindlessly put it in your pocket or put it in your bag. You intend to pay for it later, but you're walking, you're browsing, and then you get home. Whoops! It's there. You took it. And you didn't pay for it. Guilt 
That's the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt will say, oh no, I took this home. I shouldn't have done that. I stole. Shame will say, oh no, I'm a thief. I'm a thief. I'm a person who steals. That's the difference. Guilt is about what you've done. Shame is about who you are. We all carry a, a level of shame. Now, that's a simple example. You can easily fix that. You can go back to the store, return it, or you can go and pay for it if you want the object. But it's not that simple for everything. There are certain things that cannot be unsaid. It's not that simple. There are times when it's not that simple. When the acts of anger cannot be undone. When the places you went and the things you did cannot be erased from history. You threw the first punch. You made the phone call. You said yes to the, the, to the inappropriate relationship. You visited the website. You did it. You intentionally defrauded. You intentionally cheated. You intentionally fudged the numbers. And for a moment, maybe it felt good. For a moment, you tasted that fruit and you were like, it's good. This is what I was looking for. But that quickly wore off. And all that was left was shame. Or maybe you weren't on the receiving. You weren't the one doing it. You were on the receiving end of it. And whether you participated or not, it became a big mess. Whether you, you were condoning it or not, it became a big mess. And you too were left with shame because you were a part of it. You were associated with it. You were yelled at. Someone was unfaithful to you. Someone entered your, your space without your permission. Someone used you for their benefit. And you didn't know at the time. But now you know. And you have resentment. You have regret. And you have shame. Now, you can take care of resentment. It's hard, but you can do it through forgiveness. You can release it. You can resolve regret by making better decisions moving forward. But what do you do about shame? How do you erase it? How do you take care of shame? What do you do with the shame you carry? And that's the problem with shame. The problem with shame is that it perpetuates victimhood. It perpetuates that, that moment, that season, that, that, that activity. It keeps you bound. It reframes your identity. And it makes it really hard for you to move forward. But we do move forward. At least we try to move forward. And here's what happens sometimes when we try to move forward on our own. Shame changes our fuel. Shame changes how we operate. See, if we were a car engine, our intended fuel would be love and trust. Love and truth. To love and to share in truth. To love and to trust. To love and in God's love. See, God wants us to be moved by love and to be moved by truth. To engage life in love and in truth. But shame, shame re-engineers your combustion system. It re-engineers the, 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 the fuel that makes you run. And you go from, from your engine running on love 
to your engine running on fear. Instead of moving in love and truth, which requires openness, vulnerability, trust, we begin to run on fear. Put our walls up. And what's the fear? Very simple. It's a coping mechanism. It's a self-defense. We fear shame. You don't want to be ashamed again. Because you know the, the victim. Shame, uh, uh, fool me once. Shame on you. But really shame on me for, have, for, for, for having believed you. Really shame on me for having trusted you. Really shame on me for, for loving you. For opening myself to you. And for not seeing what was really happening. So my first process from this experience, my first process from what happened to me or from my decision that led me to shame is I will not get in that place again. I will not be exposed to shame again. And so every decision, the process of decision making comes from this first principle. I should not be exposed to shame again. And so there is an association that is birthed out of this. Between shame and suffering. Because it was either that suffering caused your shame. Or that shame caused you suffering. Either way the two are connected. There's shame and there's suffering. And they're going hand in hand. And therefore you not only avoid shame. You avoid suffering. You don't want to suffer. Because you're afraid of shame. And your walls go up. And so we come to Jesus. We come to a place like this with shame as our mindset, with this mindset. Whether you are aware or you are unaware, this is what brings you to Jesus. And we hear that Jesus takes away our shame. But what we really hear and what we really think is that Jesus takes away your suffering. And because we want relief from our pain and the pain of shame... We think that if we suffer, something is wrong with our relationship with God. And there are so many people who carry shame that think that their relationship with God is not working because they are suffering. The two are not the same. They might think, God, where are you? Something must be wrong. See, the problem is not suffering. The problem is shame. And that's what the scripture is teaching us. Listen, when you follow Christ, you will suffer. But this suffering will, not, will, will produce in you endurance. And your endurance will produce character. And your character will produce hope. But do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Because this chain of events will not end in shame. Hope does not put us to shame. You will not be put to shame. That's why Paul is assuring us. Don't be afraid. So where does shame come from? Did God create shame? Did he create us with shame? Well, we can see it in Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. It says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both what? Naked and unashamed. 
This is talking about their experience. Their soul, they were naked. They were completely open. Open to love, open to trust. They were open to each other. They were united. And they were unashamed. That's the way God made us. That's the way God intended for us to experience life with others. So when did shame enter our existence? Well, if you know the poem, if you know the story, it didn't stay that way. Because the serpent came and tempted Adam and Eve to do what God asked him not to do, what God told him not to do. And we pick up on verse 7, what happened after they committed the sin. Verse 7 of Genesis 3 says, Then the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave me, Lord. The woman you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate it. Notice, before sin, there was no shame. Before sin entered, there was no shame. The man and the woman, they were one flesh. They were united. They were united with God. They were united with each other. And they were united with creation. There was, there was harmony and unity on earth. That was God's design. It's always been God's design. Harmony and unity between men and between us and creation. But when they sinned, they all sinned. The serpent sinned. Even Eve sinned. And Adam sinned. Sinned. They all sinned. And sin gave birth to shame. Uh, to shame. And what happened when they felt ashamed? What became their fuel? Fear. I was afraid, he said. He started moving by fear because they were ashamed. So they covered themselves, meaning they, they built a wall of separation. They were no longer one. Now, they are two individuals seeing themselves differently enough to blame one another. They not only got divided from each other, but they also experienced division with creation. It was the serpent. That's the division between man and creation. And, God, and, and, and Adam even put a wall between him and God. God, it was the woman you gave me. You're to blame too. So shame and sin brought this wall of division. Got to understand, shame is a byproduct of sin, not of suffering. And shame isolates. And you need to know today that every bit of shame you carry builds a wall of separation between you and your surrounding, you and your world in that area of your life. It builds a wall of separation. Now, the good news is that there is a solution for the problem of shame. 
There's hope for the problem of shame. But before we get there, let me explain this to you. There are several Greek words and Hebrew words in the scripture for shame. If you do a word search uh, in the Bible for shame, you will see shame all over the scriptures, all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. What we call the Old Testament is really the Hebrew Bible. The same Bible that Jewish people read in the synagogues is our Old Testament. And that the earliest manuscripts that we have of that is in Hebrew. And the, the New Testament, which is the Gospels and Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles and the Book of Revelation, that, the earliest manuscripts we have, is in Greek. So we have the Hebrew and the Greek. And, and the word shame in English is trans, it's the word that they use for several different variations of the feeling of shame in the original Greek and Hebrew. Here's a few examples. Herpat, I'm going to butcher this, so please, but you won't know anyways unless you speak Hebrew or Greek. So I'm going to do it with confidence. Herpat <laughs> means reproach and disgrace. That's what we understand as shame. Tabisu means to feel ashamed. We understand it as shame. Kalima, to insult, to harm someone and produce shame, to bring them to shame. So when the word says, the scripture says, it, it, to be brought to shame, this is the word that it's used. Hippus, to stink, to cause a bad odor. Too many jokes. I'm not going to share any. But also is related to shame. And then in the New Testament, there's a couple words I want to highlight. There's, a, there's, there, there's more than these two, but there's the, the word kataishmo, which is to humiliate. That's the word from the passage in Romans, that, that hope will not humiliate you. It will not bring you to humiliation. You will not be humiliated by hoping in the Lord. But there's another word that is, is connected to this feeling of shame uh, in, in the Greek that is the word entropy. The word entropy means shame, respect, and reverence. And that's that feeling that, that arises in you when you come face to face with something awesome and amazing and you feel ashamed by the decision you've made. See, entropy comes from the root word trope. Entropy comes from trope. Trope means turning. Trope means changing. So there's a relationship between there's a kind of shame we feel that there's a relationship between feeling that shame and wanting to change. Wanting to walk away from it. Not wanting, it, not wanting that in our lives anymore. See, there's a kind of shame that makes you turn away because you've come face to face with something you respect and revere way more than what you did or what, you, what, what the benefit you got from what you were involved in on whatever behavior or event. So you feel shame, but that shame is the first step toward change because you don't want to be like that anymore you don't want to be in that frame of mind anymore and some of you that's what brought you to church that's what brought you to god something happened and you needed a solution you didn't want that in your life anymore maybe there was shame and it brought you here in fact for some of us that's the only way we connect to god when we feel that shame that shame is what brings us to the presence of god and then when things get a little better we get loose again. And then when we feel that shame again, we come to church. And then when things get loose again, I go, oh, okay, all right. And so your relationship with God go through these yo-yo, yo-yos. 
between moments of relief and moments of shame. And you don't know God apart from it. Now, I'm not here to shame your shame or to condemn you for it. In fact, I think that we should never lose the ability to feel that kind of shame because that is the first step. There's one thing that's beneficial. Uh, There's one positive side of shame. Shame is good when it's preventative, right? I don't want to take. I don't want to take part in that because I would be so ashamed. I don't want to take part in that. That's good. Or when it when it moves you to take that first step. And if that's your place today, I want to tell you, God wants to restore your engines because you're not supposed to stay there. You're not supposed to carry the shame. You're not supposed to stay in shame. When shame arises, it's, it's because God wants to restore us. It's because He wants to pull it out of us. He wants to move you back to, move to, to, to behaving in truth, to working from truth and love once again. See, the reason why you can't get rid of shame is because it has become the way you operate. Shame has become the way you behave. See, this kind of shame that that we feel in the presence of God sometimes is the same kind of shame that Peter felt when he was in the presence of Jesus. is that, that, that kind of shame that, that when you turn to the Lord and you see God face to face or you sense His presence, His goodness, His power, His holiness, His righteousness, you realize, God, I'm not worthy. God, I'm not worthy. I, I feel ashamed for what I've done and what I've been through. And this is what Peter felt. He said, Jesus, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy of your presence. Depart from me. You were too good. And some of us, when we come to Christ, we become completely aware of our shame. Our shame becomes revealed and we can no longer hide it. We've hid it so well our whole lives. We are able to hold it close to us so well, but we can no longer hide it. And I've heard so many times here in Connecticut and back in Texas, people say, every time I come to church, I feel like I'm being judged. And I used to, used to worry me, and I used to try to say, no, no, nobody's judging you. But then I realized, oh, there's something else at play here. It's not that people are judging them. They just feel judged. And so my new response is, good. If you come to church and you feel judged, Good, as long as God is the judge and not people. As long as, as you don't feel that coming from me or anybody else. But if, if God is the judge, good, because you're in good hands. That means that God is wanting you to bring out of that situation. He wants freedom. He wants deliverance for your life. See, we can't hide our sin from the Lord. You can't come into His presence sincerely and open and hide your sin. And where does shame come from? Shame comes from sin. And whether it's a sin that you committed or something that you were involved in and you were a victim of, man, God doesn't want you to carry that anymore. And if you feel that shame in God's presence, it's because He wants to take it out of you. So what's the solution for your shame? 
I say this boldly and in every single layer and sphere and this in whatever meaning you can take it the solution for shame is Jesus and only Jesus there's no other antidote there's no other thing that can save you and deliver you from shame because he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he can take away the shame. This is what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus our Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the truth, in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then he says a little later, chapter, uh, verse 13 of chapter 6, And you, talking about us, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You were living far from God. You weren't committed to God. You weren't committed to His law or to His will. God made you alive together with Him when you came into a relationship with Christ, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. He's already forgiven you. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it on the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. This is the word humiliation. By triumphing over the enemies on the cross. You need to know what Jesus did for you. Because some of you are carrying in burdens that Jesus already paid the price for. You're not supposed to do that. See, you're walking through life with your burdens. And they're heavy. And everything that has ever happened to you that has caused you shame, you carry it close to yourself. It's a very dirty backpack. It belonged to my daughter for two years. I asked my wife, do you have an old beat-up backpack? She said, yes, it's pink. doesn't matter. I was like, perfect. You carry your burden. And you go through life with it. Not having a solution for it. I'm going to ask my brother from another mother. Mr. Dante Calabrese, to help me here because I want to give you the solution. Some of you, you've been carrying this for too long. And the reason why I have Dante come is because he is qualified to operate a power tool. I think it's ready to go. Dante is going to be the Holy Spirit, Jesus, what God has done for you today because some of you, great gun some of you you've been carrying shame things that you wouldn't mention you wouldn't tell anybody you've been carrying it you've been living with it and it's in your it's it's in your backpack it's in your baggage You've been, you've been carrying it your whole life. You, you don't know what to do with it. You don't know what to do with it. And I was preparing. I was just feeling the burden of what it must be like to just go through life with 
all of this and not knowing what to do with it. All this feeling that the enemy tries to bring, all these things that the accuser of the brethren keeps reminding you and telling you that this is you. When Jesus has already delivered you, but you don't know what to do with it. I want to tell you that the enemy is called the accuser of the brethren for a reason. He keeps reminding you of things that God has already paid for, price, the price that Jesus has already paid for. And he says that it's yours. It's no longer yours. He will try to remind you. I remind you of the things that bring you shame. The scripture says that what Jesus did is that he nailed every single one of those things. You can nail them on the cross. On the cross. going to work. Oh, yeah. He nailed it. The rejection. You know, everything, every label. I got a lot of them here, guys. Everything that you might have experienced. Jesus paid for it on the cross. The abuse you suffered. The things you've done. What people have called you, the things you've been, you've been dealing with and wrestling with, with your whole life. Things you would never tell anyone. You would never say the words. It wasn't your fault. You were involved in a situation you never planned for. You're just being who God made you to be. You were designed a certain way and people said that that's bad. People didn't want you and now the enemy says you, there's something wrong with you. You're not good. But you don't know that everything, when Jesus suffered on the cross, everything, every part of your shame was nailed on that cross. You don't have to carry the baggage anymore. You can toss it away. I mean, this is blank for whatever else you might have suffered. Jesus paid the price for your freedom. I want to call the worship team back because I want to give you a time for you to come to the cross. See, your debt is paid. The sin has been taken away and the shame has to go with it. So today you're going to come into the presence of God. And you're going to unburden yourself. You're going to allow yourself to let go of whatever thing you've been carrying all these years. Maybe you've buried it deep inside, but it has reframed the way you've lived and God wants to set you free so that you can experience love again, so that you can experience His life again. Like I said, some of you have been carrying a burden that Jesus has already paid the price for. And today is your day of deliverance. Today is your day 
of freedom. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.